Welcome to the One Football Premier League podcast. The FA Cup third round provides some giant killing entertainment. The January transfer window kicks into action. We find out what Newcastle United and Greek mythology have in common, plus plenty more on today's podcast. As joining myself, Matt Froelich, are Joel Sanderson Murray. Hello. And Dan Burke. Hello. Right, before we start, Happy New Year to all the viewers and to you guys as well. I hope all the uh, I hope all the festive holidays were were good for you. Did you get any good presents? Yeah, I got some socks. Uh, I didn't go home this year, so no, obviously I normally see my parents at Christmas. Mm. My mum buys me socks and underwear and stuff like that. Missed out this year, but my girlfriend stepped up to the plate and bought me some PlayStation socks, which was probably the best gift I've received this year. Actually, yeah, oh, right. socks with the PlayStation logo on them. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> I got a weird. Uh photograph of a secret santa which is quite like a, a jokey gift but it was basically like a, a framed photo of uh the members of the band abba which um <laughs> which i mean I, I do like abba i really do like abba but i don't want to like a framed photo of them just a four of them smiling it's it's really weird and I, I, thankfully i couldn't fit it in my suitcase to bring it back from the uk so uh it's, it's left at, it's left at me dad thankfully this obviously wasn't <laughs> random though this was a secret santa who knows joel very very I know well very well yeah <laughs> <laughs> amazing uh right before we start though first things first you guys are probably wondering why am i matt hosting a premier league podcast well i thought we'd clear it up and give dan a quick second to plug his latest career move if you like dan and explain what's going on <laughs> Well, yeah, sitting here right now, I feel like uh, Sir Alex Ferguson watching down from the stands at Old Trafford as my <laughs> my empire crumbles. Uh, no, no, uh, obviously you've you've taken over the the Premier League podcast from me now, Matt. I'm going to be doing uh, a different podcast uh, every week from now on. So we are blessed at the one at one football with a a very diverse newsroom with people from all around the world. So. I wanted to kind of tap into that expertise and deliver a kind of European uh, slash world football podcast every week, uh, which is going to start coming out on a Thursday or Friday. It'll be Friday this week, uh, where we're going to be talking about the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, League Earn, uh, stuff from around the world as well. So yeah, there's going to be lots of lots of varied chat every week, I hope, and uh, I'll still be p- cropping up on the Premier League podcast now and again as well. You know what's ridiculous? I've got written in my notes here, oh, it'd be quite funny to mention Fergie sitting in the stands. <laughs> well, <laughs> there there you go. go. Yeah. Stealing Great my thunder minds. on the first one. Yeah. Now, we do hope you're back. I, I'd written, it's either like that, or it's either like Big Sam, Little Sam, where they decided to swap, and Sammy <laughs> Lee's gone, go on, go on, Big Sam, you take the headset, yeah. let me have a go. Am I Big Sam then? Yeah, well, I think it's your big Sam. I'm little Sam. I'll have one go at it at Wigan, screw it up and leave. So It went really badly for Sammy Lee at Bolton, didn't it? Yeah, so let's hope it goes a bit better for you on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. I hope you'll grace us with your presence from time to time as well. Absolutely. Um, Right, let's get into the action as the Premier League, uh, well, the teams were involved this weekend in some domestic action in the Cup third round. We'll start where I feel like every single dispute or discussion in the transfer window is going to start. It's going to be in the northeast at Newcastle. They're on the wrong end of a monumental shock in their 1-0 home defeat to Cambridge. Now, is there anything worse than when you're trying to attract top quality players to your team than putting on a performance like that with that result? I mean, what on earth are these prospective signings thinking, Dan? Yeah, but I guess Newcastle probably just hoped they weren't watching, weren't they, really? I mean, Kieran Trippier made his debut. Oh, God, um, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I think he's a good sign, isn't he? It's not uh, one that's going to sort of change the fortunes overnight, but I think it's a pretty good start from them, uh, step in the right direction, bringing a player of his calibre in, because I think he could he could definitely play for one of the, the top six clubs, so to get him is a bit of a coup, really. They are looking at some other players. I am sort of quite impressed with the the targets they've they've been they've been looking at likes of sort of Sven Botman he, he seems like a pretty forward thinking move you know they're not just going for sort of big stellar name players they're, they're obviously trying to like fit players into a system aren't they and um get players who are going to be hungry for delivering success to the club and then obviously the money that that's on offer is probably going to be very helpful to Newcastle um in attracting players but being in a relegation battle and now being out of the FA Cup isn't going to be very helpful at all. It's kind of hard not to compare it to, to Man City in like 08, 09 when we were trying to bring players in. And obviously we, we signed Rubinho uh, on the transfer deadline day and then had, had to wait a few months before signing some more players. We signed Wayne Bridge. Kieran Trippier feels very much like Newcastle's mm-hmm. equivalent of Wayne Bridge. We also got Nigel De Jong, Craig Bellamy and Shea Given. So they were sort of solid Premier League style players that helped... Because, I mean, City were in a bit of a bad spot at that, that January transfer window. We were, we were sort of in the bottom three around Christmas. So it's kind of sim- similar sort of scenario where there wasn't like a serious danger of relegation as there is with Newcastle at the moment, but it wasn't looking too great. But yeah, I, they're not going to be uh, attracting too many players if they watch that Cambridge performance at the weekend because they were very poor, weren't they, as you say? Oh, it was embarrassing. I, I think they're on the right path if they go with some, some Premier League quality signings. But surely there has to be a decent level of footballing ability and almost mindset. And do you, I would suggest that Eddie Howe maybe isn't the kind of guy to manage these these big players if they were to bring some stars, Joel. I think the way I'm describing it, and you'd only get this reference if you used to play Pokemon, was <laughs> if you've got a high-level Pokemon, you cannot, he won't listen to you unless you've got the right gym badges. <laughs> and and that, that's what I'm thinking here. If you're not qualified enough, the big stars aren't going to listen to you. Like, what? Realistically? So, uh... Basically, Charizard's going to tell Eddie Howe where to go. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's why I think they're going to be. It's going to be difficult. Like a few players, and I think Tottenham faced this in the summer as well. The prospect mm. of being under Nuno wasn't necessarily attractive to some of the stars, like Kane, who, who wanted to leave, and certainly in the transfer market. What do you? I, I'm I'm not convinced that Howe's going to be the right guy to bring in, even if they can throw all the money in the world at some stars. Do you reckon Joel is going to be the kind of guy who can attract them? I think there's something in that. I think uh, it might be a concern. Um, the one thing that will go for them, though, and go for Newcastle is that there will be players out there who will be motivated by money, whether you think that's right or wrong, that there will be players who know that Newcastle can give them a good payday and, and will go for it. And Now, whether that's going to be you know, the type of player that they want that's going to be motivated enough to get them out of relegation battle is another question entirely, and that will be, remain to be seen. But... Um, it's gonna be a tricky one with Eddie Howe, and I can't. It kind of feels to me a bit like it's the the, the first. Obviously, it's the first appointment of a new reign and, and new owners, but it doesn't feel to me that that's gonna be the long term appointments. Like, is Eddie Howe gonna lead Newcastle to the, the top four eventually? I am. I would highly doubt it. It could happen, mm. but I'd be surprised that that is the case. It's probably perfect for what they're in at the moment, which I, I don't think many people were were particularly saying at the time the appointment to be he is someone who's got a team out of relegation battle year after year at Bournemouth um, and, and, and kept him afloat up until that last season so he, he knows how to keep teams up and you know, whether Bournemouth were ever in a situation that Newcastle were, are in now 
I don't think they were, and, and maybe it's a whole new battle. But I, I think Newcastle will actually be okay because, despite the fact they've had a horrendous start to the season, they're still not been, they've not been cut adrift, and they should have. They, Newcastle should be out of sight by now, mm. really. But they're, they're thankful that there are three or four terrible teams in the Premier League alongside them, which means they're probably only two wins away from getting themselves out of danger. And, and I think that they are just going to you know, talk about sort of go back to the question the stars that they're going to bring in or likely stars they will do something this chance of window which will surprise yeah. uh, people and i think that's going to be the one that'll keep them up whether they go sign a mad striker and then that striker gets them six seven goals that's the thing that's going to probably going to keep them up and i think they're still going to be able to do that this window strong papa cisse vibes you remember that he came in in january <laughs> and scored like 13 or something in that second half of the season that's what they need they did nothing else after that. Really. <laughs> he said he would come back. He's been to the news recently. He said he would definitely come back and play for Newcastle. So I'll get them a bar back as well. Yeah. Get all the, boys, the whole band back yeah. together. They could do no worse. Um, where's where's Papi Cisse now? Huh? Where he's, is Papi Cisse? He left. He left. Um, uh, come on, the name now. In um, he left in Turkey. The same team as Denver Bar. The here. Oh, okay. It. And then he was in, uh, he was in, I think Switzerland yeah, for, for a couple, or was that the Bache for a bit, wasn't he? Remember that? Christ. Anyway, the chance of them grabbing him back, despite the fact that Callum Wilson looks to be out for a while, is is looking pretty minimal. Um, right, we'll move on. The second shock defeat. Oh, by the way, all credit goes to Cambridge in that one. <laughs> we forgot to mention it quickly. <laughs> Fantastic. One day Winston James's part. Brilliant. Um, the second Premier League upset was to be found in Nottingham, where Forrest kicked Arsenal out of the competition. I was thinking about this game and I watched it and it was just the cup upset defined by the cup upset manual. The lower ranked team were at home. You get the fans up for it. The team are physical, 100% from the off. You ride your luck a little bit, stay in the game, strike the knockout blow. Jobs are good and you've left the, uh, you left the Giants questioning their commitment and desire, which always seems to crop up when you lose, <laughs> when you lose to a, a lower league team. Aside from Arsenal's poor performance, the match raised another question, I thought, Joel. Why is Manchester United's best central defender, defensive midfielder, even on loan in the Championship? I think the, the Man United have something to say about that, <laughs> won't he? But uh, no, uh, James Garner, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he was born in Birkenhead, which and a, a lot of good cultural things come from Birkenhead, so I'm not surprised to see this. <laughs> but um, no, he, he was brilliant yesterday, and I, I remember sort of when when Forrest when Forrest signed him. Pretty much the whole Forest fan base was absolutely buzzing that they're going mm. to get him on loan, uh, which says I think because he didn't always get a whole fan base in unison, but it seemed like that was the case. And he was brilliant yesterday. And, and okay, you know he's, 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 he's playing for a Championship team, and, and he was impressing. And, and but he was playing against Arsenal yesterday. He was playing against Premier League opponents, mm. and maybe it wasn't Arsenal's first choice midfield, but he dominated. And you know he, he's he's sort of shown the characteristics. Like he said there, that my United's midfield hasn't been shown all season in terms of energy and you know a bit of style, being able to put on the foot on the ball and be able to drive. Yeah, he had it all, and he's been really impressive. And it is actually a strange one. I do wonder, you know, with the way Ralph Ragnick is, where he likes to give, he's proven in the past, he likes to give chances to, to younger players or players that have been on the, the fringe, let's say, of, of squads. Whether they could be having a look at whether they could recall him, it sounds like that that isn't the case because there's been no mention of him coming back. But I wonder whether Ragnick might be looking at you know a Forest and thinking, "Fuck that one, that's got away there," uh, because I don't want to play fucking the Man United and Scott McTominay in midfield every game, which <laughs> just isn't doing the job for them, is it? Let's don't forget honest. Fred. Oh, Fred! Oh. <laughs> what a lad. 
He's been alright. for him actually on the right, Nick. But, yeah. uh, but Fred and McTominay have to play together. That's what I don't <laughs> understand. So surely they can solve Fred. this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. If they, in, instead of signing Declan Rice, or, oh, God knows how much it's going to cost. Think about James Garner. I, I think it actually reflects pretty well on Notts Forest and the Championship as well. I know that there's certainly, it seems to be the graveyard for Premier League teams who may have spent a bit too much uh, or certainly can't seem to get together a strong enough squad to stay in the Premier League. But look at the loan deals in the last few years. Mason Mount, a brilliant year with Derby before coming back to Chelsea, proving he's good enough. Uh, Ollie Skip at Norwich last season, uh, won the title, now starting at Spurs. So I think there's something about Garner coming back and I'm not saying being a key player for United, but certainly I think we'll definitely have a shot in, in that midfield, like you mentioned. With not too too much to shout about. Um, talking of questions, they're going to go. They're going to go and slap eighty million on a player this summer. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah that's that's giving him a happen, chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or but... give, give Pogba a new ex- improved contract or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh God, you're, you're probably right. That's the sad thing. Um, but Spurs three one victory actually raised yet more questions about the quality and desire of those outside the strongest eleven. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but Tungi and Dombele practically crawled off the pitch. <laughs> when substituted, so much so he had to be pushed off by his teammates. Um, the likes of Delhi, Sessignon, Rodon proved why they weren't starters either. Dan, how does Conte work these players into the squad? Because he knows they aren't 100% good enough, or their heart's not really in it, but he's still got to deal with them on a regular basis. Because as we've seen with Kay needing a rest, you can't just consistently play the guys who are in it, and you can't have a team of only 11 who want to be there. Mm. Well, to sort of wind the clock back a little bit and, and and make a comparison with Man City, I remember Kevin Keegan taking over back in the, the turn of the millennium uh, around 2001, 2002. And he his philosophy when he took over at City was he inherited this squad that had just been relegated from the Premier League. And he said, everyone gets a fresh start under me. Everyone gets a fair mm. crack of the whip. Um, they can prove to them, you know, they might not have done well under the previous manager, but they can prove to me that they're good players. I'll give them a chance. He did that. And after about four or five games of the season, it started to become apparent which players were up for it and which players weren't. And I think that's becoming the case at Tottenham now as well. I think it's a good, that's a good way to manage players when you come into a new club is, is give everyone a fresh start like that. I think Conte has done that to an extent. And he's now seeing, you know, players like Ndombele who just aren't up to it, don't fancy it for whatever reason. I mean, I think that's a, it's a real shame with Ndombele because I remember when Spurs signed him thinking what an incredible signing that mm. was going to be. And he, and he's shown glimpses of brilliance during his time at Spurs and obviously not, not enough of them. Um, I remember City having a look at him when he was at Lyon as well. And I had a look at him at the time as well and thought he looked like a really quality player for whatever reason City on him and I remember thinking that when Spurs signed him I wonder what the reason was that City didn't fancy him why why have they opted against signing him and why have Spurs gone for him and you know it's quite a lot of money wasn't it and I mean you know better than me Mark but he's just, he's just not up to it is he really doesn't seem like his, his heart is in it um, he's, he's had chances under different managers now and he was he was really poor in this game and got booed off the pitch by his own fans and you'd be surprised to see him pull on a Spurs shirt again I think they'll probably try and move him on this month now won't they and maybe see if they can get him a move back to France or something going to take a huge loss on the, what was it 70 million they spent on him nearly is he record signing uh, 54 million think, pounds so I think about 60 right, million okay. euros yeah Right, yeah. So, yeah, what a shame. But, I mean, it's the same with, you know, Deli Alley. He was considered one of the best players in the Premier League a few years ago. Ryan Sessegnon looked like a great signing. Rodden, I thought he was a good player when, when Spurs bought him from uh, Cardiff. And it's just not quite worked out yet. And I think, I think, I feel like Spurs have given Conte a bit of a free hit this season. It's a bit of a, 
get what you can out of this squad and then we'll we'll make significant changes in the summer and he can work out in the between now and the, the end of the season which players he wants to keep and which players he wants to get rid of. Ali is the mad one, isn't it, Matt? Really? Yeah. Like, it's the past three managers now aren't having him and it's, you know, to think that it was only a couple of years ago that he, he was, you know, the star of England, England midfield, really. He was playing nearly every game for them and, and he was fantastic and one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. And when, when you played us the other week, you played Liverpool the other week, he, he was surprised that he started but he showed glimpses again of, of what he could he do. He was really, you know? really good. Yeah, he that really third man was. running to the box. Yeah. Um, he maybe wasn't tracking back very well, but going forward, he was brilliant. And it, it's just, I, I don't think we'll ever know the answer to this, or not for a couple of years, in terms of what's gone on with Delhi Alley. Because it, it, it seems, it comes across to me like it's a personal thing now, where maybe he's just fun out of love of the game, or, you know, he's just not having it. Because it's just, you know, he's still young enough to, to make a career, but it's just gone badly off the rails for him. And it's actually quite sad to see, I would say. Yeah, I don't. I just don't understand, especially with the signing of Ndombele, because, I mean, Deli Ali was signed for, I think, five million, could have potentially risen to a little bit more, and we had some fantastic seasons out of him, so you can, you know, chalk that off. But when you're paying, and like Dan said, competing with some of the biggest clubs, and Tottenham get to sign him, I don't want to sound pessimistic from the outset, but if my first question is, hmm, I wonder why Manchester City didn't sign him. Or I wonder why <laughs> Liverpool didn't. It does then sort of sow a few seeds of doubt. And yeah, when you see a few managers later, it's I guess it's a bit easy for, for clubs like City or whoever to turn around and say, that's why. Because three managers and three and a half years later and he's still not putting in the performance, that's why. But it, it, it has to be a bit more than that. I'm, I'm convinced that there's no way a top team would have would have foreseen this. Like he wouldn't have had the same career path if he was under Guardiola now, surely. That's it. I mean, you look at him. He's got he's got the raw materials to be a world class player, yeah. hasn't he? And you could you could make an excuse for him that he he was brought in by Pochettino. Obviously, Pochettino left halfway through that first season. Mm. Then Mourinho comes in. Everything was toxic under Jose, wasn't it? And I think Jose tried really hard with him. Actually, didn't he? Yeah, think, he did. You, know, you remember lockdown one? He had him doing shuttle runs in the park and all that, <laughs> didn't he? So. Maybe that maybe that killed his confidence. I don't know. And then again, Nuno comes in. That's a, that's another one that was a bad appointment, and you know left players in the lurch a little bit. And now Conte's there, and it's like if you can't perform with the Conte, then it's it times up, isn't it? Really, this is this is it. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that Spurs management would have definitely given the decision to back kind of leaving someone or even potentially selling someone uh, like Ndombele. You'd leave it to a manager with the kind of clout that Conte has. Like you, you'd mm. trust him. If Jose says it, you might be like, uh, "You're probably just whining and you're getting Jose." But then Nuno says it, and now Conte says it. It's probably the end. Um, but it was a different reaction actually to Liverpool, who went one 0 down to Shrewsbury. But in a team full with kids, they turned it around professionally. Does this give you a bit of hope, Joel, that maybe strength in depth issues for Liverpool aren't as bad as suggested, or signing still a must? I think. Um... I think when we talk about Liverpool's strength and death issues, I mean, it's still a team that the midfield is well stocked. And, you know, it's got, a, you know, there's a first choice midfield there, which doesn't tend to play that much, but for Bino, Thiago, and Henderson. But if you sw- you've switched those three, the next three are still pretty good as well. And then the defence, I would say, pretty much the same. So I don't think Liverpool can cry too much about the strength and depth. I, I think it's an attack where the issue is because, you know, the drop off from Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane. Uh, and Diego Jota's, you know, Divock Origi and Takumi Minamino, with who, you know, done their bit to the club, but you know, just aren't quite as good. But you know, not many, not many teams in the Premier League can 
you know, flip their attack and then have you know the backup players be just as good as the first team players. But there's still a base for me, you know, not mentioned there as well. Yeah. So again, we can't we can't cry too much. But I, I I'm not taking too much from that game yesterday. I mean, if, I I wasn't even planning for it to be honest with you because you know they, I don't know how they put the match prepare for it this week with the train ground being closed for a day and all the COVID issues. But they, they did their job. But you know, there was a good to see some of the kids play. I, I always like seeing mad team lineups in domestic cups because you know sometimes we go into these games and expect Jimmy Corkill from Brookside to end up playing for us and then <laughs> you've got you know a seventeen year old forward um in Cade Gordon playing the scoring which is which is great yeah. and it, it it can show for the future. I, I in terms of the question about signing still a must, I still think Liverpool need to sign some someone in attack to not not say cover Mane and Salah while they're gone because by the time this new player's arrived those players be back, but they need that something else off the bench that you know when, when City can bring on you know Mares or uh, Chelsea can bring on you know let's yeah, let's say Havertz. Liverpool don't necessarily have that, and that's something you need to sort out. But I think that's probably something that will get sorted out in the summer, to be honest, and not January. Yeah, I think I, I did a bit of research into this over Christmas actually, because there is a there is a bit of a school of thought that City have this amazing squad where they've got like two yeah. world class elevens they can put out, and Liverpool Liverpool don't have that. And 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 you're right, Liverpool do have um, players on the bench like a like a pretty deep squad when you sort of look at it on paper. They they do have a, a pretty strong midfield in terms of sort of second choice options, and they do have the likes of Minamino, Origi, Firmino as the sort of backup front three, but. Yeah. It's like, I think Liverpool are over-reliant on that front three, the first-choice front three, aren't they, really? And it's like, like City can rotate players in and out. Liverpool can't really do that. Liverpool play that front three all the time. And that, that's something by choice, those, mate. Yeah, and if one of those players drops out, then you, the replacements aren't really adequate, are they, for them? So that's, that's the difference, really. Whereas I don't think City have more players than Liverpool, for example. They just have sort of slightly stronger options in, in the sort of B department, really, which is yeah. kind of strange. Whereas you might have five, six attacking players who can all contribute to Liverpool, like you said, have the three. And the season two, because Manny hasn't been produced as much, mm. and Salah and Jota. And, and but I, I think that's been something that's been by design. OK, Liverpool can't spend as much as Man City or don't have the resources. They're not poor by any stretch of the imagination. But this is a little bit by design, by Klopp. He's, he's, he likes having... A smallish squad, or, or likes being loyal to players like Origi and Amino, and, and saying you'll get your chance, and there's a there's a you know pathway to the first team there for them. Not necessarily been the case, but I, I get it's it's nothing to complain about too much. But there has been overreliance on that front three, and well, you know, let's let's say front four, and that's put for Amino for Amino in this for the past couple of years, and and now maybe that's something that needs to be a little touch on, whether that's. Bringing one of the, one of Mane and Firmino out and putting someone else in there. Let's see, but yeah, I think I think that's going to be a bit of a sticking issue going forward for Liverpool, which we'll see in the next couple of months. You know, I think the maddest thing about this is that Liverpool's hand has been forced by Manchester City having such a good squad. Because what we sit here and discuss, like, oh, Liverpool haven't got, you know, they haven't got a second starting eleven to, con- uh, you know, be as good as Manchester City. Yet no one's got a second starting eleven. Since when has anyone in the history of football had two starting 11s? Like, it's kind of Manchester City who have forced this issue. And it's bizarre to think that for any team that wants to be near City, you're saying, right, you better have three world-class attackers. And when they're not in, you better bring in three more. 
off the bench. Well, 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 what City have done really well is buy players who are versatile, who can do different roles, really. I don't think every team has that. Like, you've got sort of Riyad Mahrez who can play anywhere across the front three and in midfield if needs be, whereas mm. not many teams have that. I think Same City have been Silver. quite... Cl- yeah, yeah, like Cancelo can play left-back or right-back. Um, I don't think many teams have got that. I think it is quite clever the way City have recruited these players that they've gone. We can sort of change our system quite a lot because we've got very malleable players who can play anywhere, really. Yeah, there was, um, I forgot which City player it was, talking in the press recently saying that the greatest thing that Guardiola does is keep 25 squad players happy. Mm. And so this is absolutely astonishing. Well, you saw, you saw the team they picked against uh, in the cup the other day against Swindon, didn't you? To be fair, that was pretty That's strong. why, yeah, because they just they just pick insanely strong teams yeah. to play like League Two teams in the, <laughs> in the FA Cup. To be fair, I did actually throw too much of City Swindon in there because I thought we wouldn't want to relive the nightmare for Swindon. City were very strong and just very good. Um, but there was a turnaround for Crystal Palace in their tie with Millwall, all thanks to twenty-year-old Michael Olise and. I don't know if you guys watched the game, have seen him play before. He looks like a serious, serious talent. Um, there was actually a quote from Patrick Vieira um, comparing the talent pool of South London to Paris. And if France's recent squads are anything to go by, the talent from there, <laughs> then England have got a good generation ahead of them. Um, but what do you think the future holds for him, Dan? Does the career path of fellow Palace player Wolf Sahar hold a few potential warnings for him? Well, don't go to Man United. Yeah. That would be the, the warning. <laughs> if, well, David Moyes is the manager. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like Alise a lot. I, I, look, I saw him a few times for Reading last season and thought yeah. he looked pretty good. And I thought it looked like a good signing for them. I think he was injured when he first came, wasn't he? So it took a little bit bit of uh, time to get going. Um, I know he set up the goal against, against City at the Etihad this season and scored an incredible goal in this game for £8 million. You're not going to get much better than that, are you, really? It's uh, incredible value for money and he's got a big future ahead of him. What he should learn from Zahar, I don't know, really. I mean, I think Zahar, it's just a bit of a victim of circumstance, really, that he did go to United, uh, didn't really play much there, went back to Palace and has been sort of priced out of a move. I think a lot of clubs mm. have looked at Palace, have looked at Zahar over the years and gone, yeah, he's good, but is he £45 million, £50 million good? I don't know, really. Um and I think I think that's that's him now, is it? He's probably he'll probably finish his career at Palace now. He's probably not going to get that move at this point. At this point, but you know, at least he's a lot younger than him, got a lot of time on his side, and is part of a project at Palace that is really burgeoning and and really exciting to watch. Who else is in this South London um, well, vein you, you, of talent? Then, well, you've got like Callum Hudson Odoi, Jaden Sancho, uh, Reese James, yeah, Wan-Bissaka was in there as well. Uh, obviously, Wilfred Zaha too. Um, mm. God, there's quite a few more who have certainly moved. Um, well, I think Raheem Sterling's a bit more West London, but certainly a few who have moved around the country. When you look at it, you're like, oh, hold on a minute. The streets of South London are producing some serious, serious <laughs> footballers. Um, well, Joel, did, did Liverpool have a player from the Wirral playing this weekend? Walton, yeah, isn't he? Tyler, uh, Tyler Morrison. So, so maybe uh, the Wirral is going to rival South London as James Garner, Tyler Morrison. Joel yeah. Sanderson Murray, all all <laughs> stunning footballers in their heyday. <laughs> I think I think the comparison to Sahar that I was drawing was like you mentioned with a, a burgeoning project there, is not jumping the ship too early. Yeah, if you get what I mean. And I think, like you mentioned, Wilfred Zahar staying at Palace for the rest of his career, it always seems like it'll be a bit of a what if, a what if that next step worked out. 
Yeah, if he'd not gone to United at that time, maybe yeah. his career would have panned out a lot differently. But yeah, you never know, do because you, you want to see Elise playing week in, week out to his full potential. And when it's become so clear that he's good, he's too good for Palace, which you never know, he might ride the wave and you know be as good as Palace are. Mm. You know, I, I think. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to don't want to throw shade on Zaha because I think he could be a good player on his day, but I think circumstance, you're right, have have, have left his career with a little bit of wanting. Um, but on top of this, Everton were also made to sweat by hole. It took them extra time before Andros Townsend grabbed a winner. Uh, the protests from the travelling support were loud and clear. Benitez out. He said he's unconcerned. Sounds like a, a good media response. <laughs> but can Everton fans pin everything on him? I mean, everything throughout the season, not just the, the sweating against Hull. <laughs> um, I don't think they can. I, um, I, mean, I, th- I think they will because he's an easy target. And um, I don't think it was a, a decision to appoint him was, was mad from the start. So, and it's only, it's only going to end in flames eventually. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily all his fault. Um I think there's a couple of factors at play. I think one is the board and the people who've been making football decisions at Everton for a long time have made countless errors. Um, that they, you know, they had a director of football in Marcel Brands and who Everton fans don't even know whether he actually was able to do his job or not, whether he was assisting to sign players or not. And it seems like there's someone else making decisions who maybe doesn't understand football as much. But you know, Brands is gone and Everton are now doing a sort of deep review on, on what their operations are going to be like going forward. So, you know, let's you know, let's see what happens there. But I think there's also the players must take some criticism as well because, you know, I've seen a couple of their games recently and, okay, maybe they're not playing for the manager. Maybe they don't like the manager, but they should still have some pride for playing for, you know, their club and their fans. But a lot of them do seem to, you know, I'm not going to name individuals here because it, it, it's harsh to, to claim that of a professional footballer, but a lot of them do seem to have checked out or maybe aren't playing up to their standards. And um, But that, that squad is also full of players that have been signed by three or four different managers, so it's a complete mess. So I don't sort of envy Benitez in his position, but I also don't think he's helping himself really because... You know, Everton go and get a very good result against Chelsea where they draw 1-1 and they play a lot of their youth players. And, and you know, for the first time in a long time, Everton were riding high and there's there a lot of, like, positivity around going to their next game against Brighton. And then they go and sit back against Brighton and they don't go for it and they allow Brighton to have the ball and pass it around them. And it just brings them right back down to earth. And, and, and then that sort of leads into to Saturday where, you know, okay, they go 1-0 down to a championship team, not great, but there's actually a really good cup game and Everton come out with it. And Everton should be bouncing, but they're not bouncing. They're not bouncing at all. And there's still a lot of negativity and, and toxicity about them. And I just don't see it ending well for Benitez. I don't know what the answer is for, for Everton right now, but it's not all his fault, but he is the main big problem for Everton fans at the moment. Do you think it's easier to turn on him and point to the the former relationship with Liverpool? Yeah, yeah, it's it's <laughs> easiest target. Yeah. I mean, if if you're a you know a serial killer and you you move the situation <laughs> to a, a town where there's suddenly a lot of uh, people dying, people are going to look to you and blame you, and you're going to you're going to be. You're gonna be He's killed before. He'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but Benitez loves this. He loves going to places where. He might actually be a bit hated. I, I, I don't even get to kick out of it, but you know he's he's, yeah. he's had he's been to clubs where there's been. He loved it at Chelsea, didn't he? 
Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Why yeah. do you go there? Obviously, <laughs> he, he goes. To, you know, he goes and works with uh, Perez at Real Madrid and like that shit. Newcastle United. He loves the drama. He's just a big drama queen. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh god, I I can't see him lasting the season at this point. But who no. knows? Who knows? Um, and the FA Cup fourth fourth round draw was yesterday as well. I was a little bit underwhelmed. I mean, which was the tastiest tie for you guys? It's got to be Kidderman's the West Ham, hasn't yeah. it? That's that's what that's cup dreams it. are made of. Yeah, yeah, pretty worry. much. Yes, City got Fulham at home. That's, you know, we seem to play them every year in the cup. I think. Yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> or well, pe- people people claim people claim that City are kind of uh, always like getting easy draws and stuff. Like I there's think some about sort of that. you know meddling going on. I, I guess when <laughs> we rang up to bribe them this time, they just had the usual, and we <laughs> yeah, we'll have, we'll have Fulham at home again. Go on. <laughs> It's used and Man United always seem to play Redden and Derby at home at every cup competition oh, every yeah, season. That's one as well. Mm-hmm. Something going on in Manchester, you know. <laughs> well, it's, they are facing off against Villa tonight, though. I think it's Middlesbrough. I think Middlesbrough's the, the winner of that tie yeah. of the uh, United-Villa game. I was disappointed that Rod Stewart wasn't involved. That's what I've got <laughs> to say about the fourth-round draw. That would have been... Just, just on the draw as well, I hope that the, um, the, the TV um, picks are a bit better this time around. Yeah. Oh my the, god! Yeah, like the Awful. BBC, for example, uh, they always like. Did they have Leicester, Leicester v Watford on this week or something like that? They had yeah. like an all Premier League tie. Like, uh, no West Ham Leeds. Oh, yeah, no one wants to see that. We want to see the mismatches, the giant killings, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So yeah, you missed. Yeah, they got to have Kid- Kidderminster West Ham on there, and Kidderminster yeah. knocked out Reading as well. Three, yeah, four divisions above mm-hmm. even. Um, yeah. So yeah, like you mentioned, they got a, a pretty good, pretty good game. I think a pretty good reward of West Ham. There was also uh, Bournemouth in the National League. Uh, got a tie at Bournemouth for their victory. Same thing for Plymouth, actually, who go to Chelsea, yeah, which is pretty good. But yeah, you do want to see that. So I saw someone tweet saying, thank God I get to watch West Ham Leeds in the FA Cup um, because West Ham Leeds <laughs> yeah. is on in the Premier League next week. I'm thinking, it's the same thing. Yeah. You are right. <laughs> the, re- the reason actually I brought up Rod Stewart is because that man has his birthday today alongside yours truly. Thought, oh, yeah, it, it is my birthday and Rod Stewart's. And I thought I'd, I'd have a bit of a look and see who else there is. And Mason Mount as well. Oh, fair play. It's a good day to be born. Happy, happy birthday, by the way. How yeah, old are you? Oh, I'm I'm 29. So one more year and uh, Chelsea will be dishing out one year contracts to me and no more. <laughs> <laughs> I also found it was George Foreman's as well. This, oh, brought, wow. this brought me to my alternate universe theory where George Foreman's banging them in for Chelsea. But me, Rod Stewart, and Mason Mount could not last a one round in the jungle with Muhammad Ali. <laughs> <laughs> Either that, or I'll give you my best rendition of Baby Jane at the end. And you, and you, you've got a, a, a lean, mean, fat-reducing <laughs> grilling machine on the market that everyone's it's going perfect. out of the droves to buy. It's perfect, yeah. God, honestly, just when you thought I'm taking over from Dan, the things are going to be stable. No. <laughs> We're talking about bizarre birthdays. Do you, do you guys share your birthdays with anyone in particular? Anyone of note? Yeah. I don't know, Sad. actually. Sir Alex Ferguson. Well, I'm not going to call him Sir, but Alex Ferguson, yeah, sadly. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You're a New Year's Eve baby, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did see that, actually. He was 80, wasn't he? Yeah, well, yeah, sadly. But uh, what do you do? <laughs> you, 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 you can't you, say that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get that out. <laughs> happy birthday, Sir Alex, from all of yeah, us, apart birthday. from Joel. All the best. <laughs> Right, we'll move we'll move away from that swiftly into the transfer window. Uh, the classic line: "Always a bad time to do business." It's dropped by many a manager. 
let's say you're in charge, Dan. Are you dipping a toe in the transfer waters? Or do you think it shows a bit of a lack of pre-season prep from a side? I think it does, yeah. I mean, I think it was I think it was Sir Alex actually who said that, wasn't he? There was no value in the market, uh, was his famous quote in January. And I think it's true, yeah. I think you often get ripped off for players in January. Um, it is it is a case of poor planning often. I mean, if you if you're sort of bringing a player in to cover for an injury or something like that, or or, you, or you're trying to spend your uh, your pocket money on on surviving relegation like Newcastle are, then I think it's acceptable. I think a club like Liverpool who've got players at the Afcon might be looking to do some business, although I'm not really hearing a lot of a lot of links coming from Liverpool at the moment. Really, but they, should, they should have known about that. stuff. <laughs> well, exactly, not yeah, out of blue. yeah, yeah. But you can't buy someone in in August, can you? And say you're not really going to play much until January. <laughs> and then I suppose you can't really buy someone in January and go, you're going to play for a bit, but as soon as they're <laughs> back, you're out out of your ear again. You're describing so, Origi's career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, we all love to see our, our club signing players, don't we? And I, I don't know what Spurs plans are this month, Matt. Uh, maybe you'll see some new players in, in the Spurs shirt, but I can understand why clubs don't really go for it a lot of the time because it is uh, you do get ripped off at this I time. I feel like we'll more. see more at Spurs once once a few have been shifted. I feel like it's mm. going to be that sort of window. Um, actually, mentioning Liverpool just there, Joe, as a Liverpool fan, it must be a bit weird to see some sort of ex-Liverpool get-together at Aston Villa. Uh, with Gerard bringing in Coutinho, does Gerard use their previous relationship to talk to him as a former teammate and sort of bring out this Liverpool Coutinho, or do you reckon he says, "I'm a coach now. This is how you fit into my system. This is Aston Villa." I think it might be the former. I think, I think the only reason he's gone there is that relationship with with Gerard, um, and I think you know a lot of the criticism about Coutinho and how it's not worked out at Barcelona is down to sort of. Him, you know, being a big confidence player, and he's it's not quite stood up to the responsibility of you know of taking over the, the midfield mantle from you know, the likes of Iniesta and Xavi, and it, it's all got to him. And now he's he's going to a place where you know he's going to be adored by Aston Villa fans because because of his name and because of his status, and he's also going to have a you know a manager who used to be a former teammate who believes in him a lot and, and knows exactly what he can do, and will have the full confidence in him. So it, it's going to be an interesting one to see. Um, and, and you know it, it could actually bring out the, be- the best in Coutinho or, or something close to the best in him again. I, I it tends to sort of fit him into a system, and I think that system that Gerald plays already is perfect for Coutinho because you know he likes to play with you know sort of two inverted wingers, tens kind of you know behind a striker, and Coutinho could you know fit in off the left there and you know and cut it on his right and, and have a shot, which is all he does anyway. So um, he's, he's going to be <laughs> that sort of. Uh, Every single one that he ever took against City went in. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love him for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's you know he could fill the gap that you know has been left by sort of Jack Grealish. And I mean, I'm curious how it works out there with with Coutinho and Buendia behind you know one of Watkins and and Danny Ings. It, you know, it was actually quite a you know exciting front three on on paper. Yeah, I really think you mentioned there the players around him. That movement of the likes of Watkins and Ings, I think, is really key to Coutinho. He's either he's got the eye for a pass, mm. but equally, when those players open up a lot of space in behind for Coutinho, sort of just in front of the defence, I mean, and give him that space to to shoot, then yeah, I think I think he's got the makings of a good signing. You'd think, but yeah. you know, we've seen these go poorly before. Um, actually, another big name being thrown around is Dusan Vlahovic, and he's been linked with pretty much every team out there. Um, Arsenal seems serious about it. He has said he really enjoys playing in this Fiorentina team at the moment. But you get the feeling when he's proven his quality over so long, 
including last calendar year, like he's done. He needs to be in the in the Champions League. Does he jump at the Arsenal idea, Dan, or do you think he should hold out for someone a bit bigger? I mean, if I was him, I would probably hold out, but who that bigger team is, I'm not really sure. I mean, I know City have had a look at him as well. Then City aren't going to bring anyone in. Um, obviously, they need a striker at some point. They're not going to do so in January, so it's going to be the summer. I think I think Haaland is their number one um, target, and if, if they can't get him, they might go for Vla- Vlahovic. I'm really interested to see what he does when he goes to another club because he has looked amazing at Fiorentina. His numbers are incredible and he, and he does look really good. But then we've seen examples in the past of players being a bit of sort of flash in the pan type, you know, with strikers. I'm thinking sort of Andrea Bellotti, um, mm. Christoph Piontek, who's just gone back to Fiorentina, uh, who looked so good at AC Milan, didn't he? He went to Hertha Berlin and, and has not done so well. Um, Luka Jovic is another one who... Um, I always think of what, so I wonder if he could be one of those where it's like he's in a real purple patch that he's not going to be able to sustain for the rest of his career. And it'll be interesting to see if he gets a move where he goes, maybe for him going to a club like Arsenal, who are sort of on the up and there isn't like a great pressure to deliver as there would be a, a Champions League established team. Maybe that would be a good move for him. I don't know, but... I mean, I think Fiorentina are quite keen to sell this month. Well, his kind of value is at its peak and they want about £70 million for him or €70 million, Euros, I think it is, which is, you know, pretty pretty reasonable in this market, isn't it, really, for a player of, of his calibre, you, you would imagine. So it'd be interesting if someone goes for him this month and if, if he does. Because the other thing about January transfers is it's really hard to sort of hit the ground running in, in mid-season when you join a new team. You don't have much time to bed in. A lot's expected of you quite quickly. I don't know if he slots straight into Arsenal's team and immediately improves them and immediately starts scoring goals in the Premier League or whether he would need a bit of a pre-season uh, summer to kind of get up to speed. Yeah, it's one to keep an eye on. So on top of this as well, there's Luca Dina, whose future is in the balance, let's say. It looks like he could be leaving Everton uh, to head to Aston Villa, actually. The other day you were tweeting, Dan, uh, that you couldn't think of a reason as to why City wouldn't want him. Have you managed to think of a reason yet or do you think he'd actually be a good signing for Pep? <laughs> Well, a few, a few people replied to me saying maybe his age is an issue because he's 28, nearly 29, which is sort of the wrong end What's of wrong the, being the spectrum. Of, well, nothing, nothing <laughs> but I'm, as a man who's deep into his 30s now, I, what I would give to be 29 again. Uh, um, and a few people were saying his defensive um, ability is questionable at times as well, which maybe wouldn't suit uh, City very well. Mm. And I think with City, they, they do, they've needed a left back for a long time now and, and for some reason have never gone out and got one. And now they've got Joao Cancelo, who's technically a right back, but probably the left best left back in the world at the moment. So you kind of think maybe, they, maybe they'd be better off keeping Cancelo and Zinchenko as the left back choices and signing a new right back instead. That might be the way they, the way they go now to, to compete with Kyle Walker, but it doesn't look like he's coming to City. I signed him for City on FIFA and it went very, very well. So if, <laughs> if they want to you know, ask me a few questions about how to fit him into the team, then I, I'm the man for that. But apparently they're not interested, so fuck him. <laughs> well, I actually find it's a bit odd that they managed to beat out the likes of Chelsea and the money of Newcastle to the signing of him, if Aston Villa do get him, that is. Uh, Joel, have you got a ridiculous prediction for the transfer window you think a crazy signing uh, it's an obvious one but I think like Newcastle will do something mad at some mm. point and uh, it feels like the shiny new toy that you got to have when you have a new ownership or you know you're spending big money for the big time is yeah. get a new striker and I think that's, that's what it's going to be maybe it will be Flahovic maybe they'll, they'll end up getting mm. you know nipping him and getting him ahead of everyone else but I think Newcastle will do something there especially with Callum Wilson out for two months it was reported so I'm not quite sure what they'll do, but they'll they'll maybe like Luka Jovic. I think, I think they'll do something mad. I've got my money on Aubameyang. 
to Newcastle. Has to take you, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Arsenal it. have got to get rid of him, haven't exactly. they? Exactly. They don't want him there anymore. So, and he doesn't want to be there anymore. It doesn't seem so. And you can get money for him by selling mm. your players to Newcastle. So yeah. I, think, <laughs> I, I think this one. I've made it up in my head, but I think this one's got legs. Uh, right, we're moving on now to the hot topics. This is where, well, basically I take anything that's happening in the footballing world and try and get your masterful opinion on them. Uh, we touched a little bit earlier on Southampton. We talked quite a lot about Newcastle, but Ralph Hasenhuttl's uh, raised an interesting point in a, in a Premier League meeting last week, saying he wants a ban on teams using new signings in a rearranged fixture. So he was talking about the Southampton-Newcastle game, which was postponed due to COVID and injuries. Uh, there hasn't been a new uh, date set for it just yet. What do you guys think? What about you, Joel? I, I'm not. I'm not with that. To be honest, I, I think. <laughs> I think like, you know, Premier League fixtures have been. You know, every not every season they get postponed for one reason or another. Not as obviously not as much as we're seeing now because of COVID. But you know, it's been bad weather. Bad weather's existed for years. So like Premier League fixtures have been postponed in the past and this hasn't really become a thing where, you know, new signings in January aren't allowed to play in those kind of fixtures. So I am I'm not with that to be honest with you. Like it it doesn't seem like an unfair advantage. Like the, the games getting played and they're getting played. Like it's just sort of get on with that, I guess. Like, nah, I'm sorry, Ralph, but uh, I think he's moaning about the, the wrong thing there, to be honest with you. What do you think, Dan? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm inclined to agree with Joel. I think they do do this in France, actually, I was reading. Um, I think you're not allowed to register, you're not allowed to play players who aren't, weren't registered at the time that the game was originally played or something like that. I could be wrong about that. I'm sure I read something anyway. But yeah, I, I, um, I think Joel's right, yeah. It seems a bit nonsense, really, especially in this season where everyone's just kind of muddling through and games are being called off you know, through mm. no fault of anybody really. Uh don't know whether Liverpool's uh, false positives uh last week warrants some sort of investigation, but <laughs> I'm just just throw it out there. It seems a bit unusual that there'd be so many false positives when the you know, these last four flow tests are usually quite reliable, aren't they? But yeah. Anyway. I like how Arsenal fans have built this conspiracy that Liverpool called that game off because they were scared to play. Yeah. The, the, the same team that Liverpool beat 4-0 not two, two months ago. But, uh, yeah, yeah the same, fine. The same team that goes to Lewis one lose to Forest. Yeah, that, <laughs> that team. That's none of my business. <laughs> well, J- Jamie Carragher also thinks it's nonsense, so maybe it's a Scouse thing. But, but, yeah. but David Moyes is on board with it, apparently. He's he's really up for this. I think. Did he say why? Did he say why? What his rationale for it was? Or? Uh, I think, well, for the same reason that Harsenhill is talking about, saying it's not quite fair. The problem is that this is very specific to Newcastle. It's only specific <laughs> because everyone's petrified that a club can go ahead and literally have a completely different squad by the time they potentially next play each other. If it wasn't for Newcastle's transfer kitty, I'm not sure this would be such an issue because yeah, a team might have one new player by the next time you play them, but. Yeah, Arsenal I... also running scared of the Burnley Beckham. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but also as well, it's pretty offensive. Like Arsenal Hill's basically saying, "Oh, can't we play Newcastle now? They're shit. I don't want to play them when they're good." <laughs> it's not ideal. Uh, my next one on this list is wing backs. This this is a bit self indulgent talking about Tottenham here. Um, because the, the the question is surrounding the, the fullbacks and their massive part of Antonio Conte's system. But for wing backs to create a wing back, would you rather push a full back forward or take a winger backwards? Dan, you take this one. Well, I mean, if the perfect answer to this question is, is Spurs have been linked with Adama Traore, haven't mm. they? There is a wing back if ever I've seen one because that guy is 
awful in the final third, isn't he? <laughs> but he's got an engine on him. He's massive. He's powerful. He just seems like he's like he was the perfect. He was like he was built in a lab to be a wing back to me. So if that's why Spurs are interested in signing him because they want to play wing back, then I'd mm. say he's a great example of that. But generally speaking, I think you do have to have some kind of defensive nous about you, don't you, to play wing back? It's not an entirely uh, defensive free responsibility kind of role. So. Um, I remember Sven Joran Oaks and playing Alano at right back once for City. That was uh, that was pretty 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 bizarre. But then you look at you look at the way City play now, and he probably be quite suited to that role. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, John? Um, I I like the fact that nowadays, if you are a full back wing back, you are kind of meant to be very good at attacking anyway. So it's kind of pushing full back forward is kind of the way to go now anyway. But I, I I do like the idea sometimes of, of wingers backwards. I, I named two sort of examples on that. Of Ivan Perisic of now of Inter Milan fame has been someone who he always was a a winger inside forward, but he now sort of plays as a, a sort of wing back um, in an Inter Milan team, and you know he does a good job on there. And 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 your your man your boy Conte turned Victor Moses from. Exactly. That was my example. Yeah. <laughs> Ghostly winger into a, a title winning wing back. So uh, there's something in it, mate. <laughs> I, I was because I, I was trying to decipher like what would be the best option, and I think looking at Alexander Arnold and Robertson is not fair because they're anomalies because they're so good mm. um, that I think they could do it and they can do both very well. But for me, especially in the Spurs situation, bringing Mora and Son back to wing back seems like a complete waste of their attacking talent. Yeah. Um, they would do better so, when they no, get you can't have son, you can't have Son as a wing yeah, back exactly no. exactly and Mora maybe Mora seems like he'd, he'd sort of put in the defensive graft a little bit to me right? ah, Son the, see, the thing is that you don't want him coming back do you you don't want him coming back but also their defensive ability needs to be quite good but mm. on the other hand the likes of certainly Emerson Royale has just been awful going forwards but is good defensively so it's where I'm kind of trying to you'd pick someone between the two but I think the answer is I don't have an answer. That is honestly <laughs> what I'm I telling you, think. Adam Achore, if someone could coach him to be a wing back, he'd be the best but, but, in the world. But, but you said his final ball lets him down. And that's what is happening with Emerson Royale now at Spurs. Imagine trying to get past him though. Yeah. Impossible, wouldn't it? But the it's thing is, stop. If, you, <laughs> if, if it was such a blindingly obvious thing, you would have thought Wolves would have done it by now and he'd be brilliant. I'm 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 a little bit I'm a little bit sort of indecisive between the two, which is why I'll, I'll try it on FIFA and let manager. you know how it goes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> put put Dini in there at left back, at left wing back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the, the other thing to mention is that, of course, I think it's very much down to the tactic of the team. I mean, the, the, a good example is Zinchenko, who signed for City as a left winger, and mm. keeps many of those traits in the Manchester City team because he doesn't have to defend as much because you've got the ball more often. Well, you have to have the skill set of a centre mid to play fullback for City in this team, basically. So, exactly, it's a very, it's a very different skill set. Yeah, yeah, and you're keeping the ball. Whereas if you were to put Zinchenko as you know the left back at Newcastle, defending ninety percent of the matches, you might find out he could be caught out a little bit. So yeah, I mean, everyone else listening, let us know what you think as well. You can tweet <laughs> us at One Football. You could tweet myself, Dan, and Joel, um, or email us. It's podcast at onefootball.com. But we'll move on to the very last one because this this is very bizarre. It's the word that's been running around my head is bizarre. Alan Saint Maximan at Newcastle has released a card game. 
last week <laughs> based on Greek mythology called Helios. Did you hear about this? I did not, no. <laughs> he started... <laughs> I'm not even kidding. This is the most ridiculous thing about it. He, he, he held a competition in Newcastle where the winner walked away with £3,000. Um, all for this card game. And apparently he's tried it out with his mates. They play it on the on the bus to away games. And he's been working on it for a couple of years. He is The guy loves Greek mythology. And uh, I, I, I read online, the aim of the game is to get as many coins as possible. And the player with the most points at the end of four rounds wins that round. And the goal is to be able to guess the suit or god behind your cards to get more power. And the aim of playing for Newcastle is to get as many coins as possible <laughs> nowadays as well, isn't it? So it's, I can see why. <laughs> it led me to the question: Have you actually heard of anything more bizarre than this? Does anyone have a side project in football where you just think, "What is that about"? I I know. Well, it's not as bizarre as that. But I know that the referee John Moss has a record store called. Levine or Whistle, which yeah. <laughs> no, he doesn't. The best thing that's ever existed. <laughs> it leads, yeah, yeah, leads. Very good, very good record shop, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> hats off to him. The well, vinyl the whistle. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking uh, Steve Bruce and his, his series of uh, uh, detective novels. Oh, uh, how did I forget about those? <laughs> Aren't they called like Defender and Striker or something? Yeah, yeah. maybe Murder Steve Bruce mystery. is giving a. Uh, Sam Maximum on some sort of business tips or something. Maybe that's how it's... I mean, you think if Sam Maximum was going to do anything, you think some sort of ASMR would be like... Because uh, his, oh. his initials are ASM. Oh, my word. So he could do some sort of series of ASMR type. I don't know what the R stands for in, in ASMR. So Alan Sam Maximum relaxation or something. Is that, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> These, I remember looking up, actually, those, um, those Steve Bruce books online. They're about 80 quid a pop, I think. Not yeah. too many of them published. <laughs> Stunning. I did also read that I think it's Matthew Flamini who started like a a, a biochemical business or something. Yeah. He's now a billionaire. <laughs> well, he was he was making a lot more money from that than football. So he yeah. was playing football, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> fair play. <laughs> I, was, I think card game has got to be up there with the oddest. I think the oddest actually refereeing thing that I've seen was Mark Clattenburg and the tattoos. Have you seen that? Oh. No. He's, he's, he's got a tattoo of the Champions League on his leg that he refereed the final oh, like, like a player gets it when they win it and they get, get a big <laughs> tattoo on it yeah he's got it so there you go that is definitely one of the more bizarre things we'll be talking about yeah. on the podcast um, but finally we come to our question of the week which is where everyone listening can get involved as well uh, a, a few fun facts to you about the FA Cup as it was FA Cup third round this weekend for example, Wigan Athletic became the first side to win the FA Cup and be relegated in the same season. Were you there, Dan? It was 1-0 against City. I was City. there, yeah. You were there. I was there. Oh. <laughs> ben Watson. I've never been more confident going into a game as that. I thought, Wigan, we'll beat these easy. And uh, <laughs> I remember Famous thinking last that words. as Spurs went into the semi-final of the FA Cup against Portsmouth a few years earlier. Mm. And I was like, oh, it's Portsmouth. They're absolute pony. They're getting relegated. <laughs> Beat us 2-0. Shows what I know. Um, <laughs> the second great stat is that Everton have lost a record eight FA Cup finals, um, which just doesn't bode well at all. I can see John's <laughs> smirk on his face right now. It's just in their name to me. <laughs> and finally, this one, I'm not sure you'll know. In 1873, Sheffield confirmed a unique place in FA Cup history as they beat Shropshire Wanderers by the toss of a coin. It is the only time a tie has been decided in that way. Oh, I would just like to try and picture the scenes on Twitter. 
if <laughs> an FA Cup tie, they get the host there like they do the draw. Someone brings out this special minted coin, flips it, and that's it. Well, you know what the 2022 equivalent of that would be? A game of Helios, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That is it. A game of Helios to decide the winner. I just think yeah. there'd be tweets of the game's gone just everywhere. That's all it would be. Game's gone when you're deciding a match by flipping a coin. Uh, no, the question is actually, uh, which player has scored the most FA Cup final goals? Now, don't answer now because we're going to give the answer next week. And I'm also sure you oh, guys okay. might have a bit of a clue. Um, but yeah, we uh, there was a definition, uh, sorry, a difference between, just for all of you out there who are going to, who are, who want to answer, there's a difference in the most FA Cup final goals and the most FA Cup finals scored in. So there's a difference between the two. Do you guys reckon you've got an answer though? I'm pretty clued up on this. No, I, I have an answer, but I don't know if... I mean, the, the problem is, like, with, with FA Cup questions, mm. it could be some lad in 1875, <laughs> couldn't it? <who's laughs> when got, I was researching, paid a, yeah, that's yeah, what got, happened. Got paid with a bag of turnips for scoring <laughs> eight goals in eight successive Cup finals. Jack Fleming or something, was there, wasn't it? Like, so, I don't know, but my, my, my answer is a lot more a lot more recent than that. I don't know whether it's likewise. correct or not, yeah. I, um, I was actually looking, I was like, I'm going to pick an inc- interesting question from the history books of the FA Cup and my god some of them are like yeah the most goals is like a a 13-4 match that happened in like 1920 <laughs> and the keep the keeper played one half for each team or something like that and it's just it's just the FA Cup history honestly is absolutely full of it's full of them I'll tell you what I enjoyed this weekend in the FA Cup was that Stoke uh their starting 11 I can't remember who they played now but they they had Tom Ince son of Paul Ince mm. um Kevin Campbell's son, uh, Tyrese Tyrese Campbell, yeah, and Sean Wright Phillips' son, all in the starting eleven. Really? Yeah, I didn't know Sean Wright Phillips' son was uh, was uh, was at Stoke. Yeah, Demario Wright Phillips, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's mad to think that he has sons. I still think of him as a a young winger. I know, yeah, the scene at City. (laughs) Oh my god, yeah. Wow, well, there you go. Uh, Right, well, that is it. That is all from us for this week. Of course, you could tweet me the answer on Twitter at Matt Froelich or at OneFootball as well. Uh, I think Dan's is... What's your Twitter, Dan? At FussballDan. That's it, at FussballDan. And for Joel? Uh, uh, Joel S. Murray, I think. But don't don't tweet me, don't tweet me. Don't tweet me unless it's ABBA related. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You can also drop us an email with your guests and any other questions, suggestions and feedback you may have for the podcast. The address is podcast at onefootball.com. So that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests as always. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week. So see you then. Bye.